Uh, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be a spiritual first responder. And I'm going to go up top here so that everybody can kind of see. And if you do have any questions about this kind of stuff, um, afterwards I'll hang around for 10 minutes or so before I have to walk over. Um, but again, a first responder, what does that mean? We'll get into that in just a minute. Now, just to let you know um, my ministry experience, I've been a pastor in Dallas. I've uh, been a pastor in New York City. been a pastor in Los Angeles. So where the reason why I'm coming up with this idea is because I think this is what it means to be a Christian today. And I hope by the time we're done here, you'll see what I mean uh, about that for yourself. I've also trained pastors to start churches in a lot of our big cities around um, the country. And now my wife and I, Yvette, uh, we are in Washington, D.C. And what I do in Washington, D.C. now is a little bit different. I'm not an evangelist there as much, but I'm there to kind of deal with the politics of our culture to keep the church, uh, religious liberty stuff, so that you guys have the protection uh, to do the ministries that you do. So again, uh, if you want to know more about that, please go downstairs and, and check out it. But here today, we're going to talk about religious, I mean, we're going to talk about what it means to be a spiritual first responder. If you want to know more about the stuff that we're doing in D.C., lcrlfreedom.org, lcrlfreedom.org, or head downstairs, okay? Oh, the only thing, if, if there was one thing that I wanted you to do as a, uh, like, assignment, here it is. Text LCRL to 444999. That's all I want you to do because then you'll sign up and you'll get a Monday devotion from us and a Friday, uh, what I call a Lutheran way of engaging the issues of the day kind of thing, an op-ed for those of you who know what that is, an opinion piece. And I would love to have 50,000 of these because when I go in to talk to a senator or a congressman, they say, who are you? And I say, Greg Seltz, and they go, big deal. But they say, uh, who do you represent? And then I say, well, we have 2.2, 2.3 million people. We've got eight universities. We've got 2,000 schools, 6,000-plus churches. Oh, okay. And they start to pick up. Now, if I said to them, I also have 100,000 people following me on you know, the LCRL uh, email line, word from the center, they'd say, oh. So, again, that's how senators and congressmen think. They want to know who you represent. So if you guys follow us and get interested in us, that will be a real blessing to me. Okay? All right. That's the last pitch for that. Spiritual first responders. What does that mean? Uh, what's that? Who's that? What I want you to see today, that when we talk about what it means to be a spiritual uh, first responder, I think this is a new vision for what it means to be a Christian today. Period. Uh, it's what it means to be a Christian in the first or the 21st century. It's the, you know, when you hear about discipleship, you've heard that word before, right? Discipleship. Yeah, following Jesus. Well, this is discipleship with a twist because this is who I think you are. You're a public Christian for the sake of your neighbor. Now, think about it. Lutheran theology, if you think about what you were taught in, in, uh, at your church, what you were taught in Bible class, what you were taught in confirmation class, is being a Christian is very simple. Christian theology is very simple. When it comes to my relationship with God, it depends on who? God. God's done everything. He's done, so when it comes, and we pray this every Sunday in church, we say, faith toward God and what? Fervent. Love toward who? To our neighbor. 
That's your theology in a nutshell. That is all Lutheran theology teaches. It's that simple. Now, well, if it's all determined by God, how do I know God gives it to me? Well, he comes through words, water, bread, and wine. He comes through the sacraments to make sure that you know he did it all for you. But when it comes to your relationship with God, it's all dependent on God. So then God gives you the freedom to then spend your life worrying about what? How do I love my neighbor? How do I serve my neighbor? How do I get involved in my labor's life? And that's what a spiritual first responder is. And so I want to talk to you today about that. Because I think, to me, once you begin to understand that when we live out our Christian life, it's not for our sake, it's for our neighbor's sake. And then it becomes this incredible adventure. Because you get new neighbors all the time. You get new challenges all the time. And it never determines your relationship to God. God takes care of all that. So keep going to church, keep reading the Bible, keep receiving the sacraments, keep you know, rejoicing in what God is doing and has done for you, and then turn it all towards your neighbor and see what he can, you can do for him. So that's the point. Spiritual person responder, you? Yes, you. Okay? Uh, what do you believe if I told you that right now you are a first responder? So this session is not, here's how to become a spiritual first responder. This, question, this session is about, you already are a spiritual first responder. Now the question is, are you the best spiritual first responder you can be? Now that's a whole different question, but you already are. Every, right now, in Jesus Christ, you are already a spiritual first responder. Right now, because of your baptism, you already have a relationship with God, and therefore you already have purpose in His name uh, to be lived out for the sake of others. Do you believe that? Well, let me say one more thing. Let me say it another way. You, uh, would you believe that, and here's, here's where it really gets exciting. Would you believe that God has actually fashioned you? You're exactly who God wants you to be for the sake of somebody else. Now listen, Yvette and I, we're now in Washington, D.C. I never thought I was ever going to serve in Washington, D.C. I didn't even realize that, that God was fashioning me for the work I'm now doing in Washington, D.C. When I look back on my life, I can see things he did. Back then, it made no sense to me. Back then, I was like, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why did we meet these people? Why did we meet those people? If I could tell you now how I see all of that stuff coming to fruition in the work we're doing there, it'll blow your mind. But that's how God works. So you are exactly who he wants you to be. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it an easy time to be a Christian or a hard time to be a Christian? It's always been like this, guys. <laughs> it's never been easy. It's never been hard. It's always, been, it's always going to be hard to engage people who are not Christian. It's always going to be hard to engage. Now, every, every, culture, every generation has had unique things that God has given them to do, unique challenges. So you might have some unique challenges, but it's yours. It's your challenge, and he made you for this time and for this place. And so to me, like I said, if you really understand what I'm going to talk about today... Um, every day becomes an adventure because every day is an opportunity uh, to actually get to know the neighbors that God brings into your life. So uh, I just think if you start to think about your Christian life that way, it takes all the pressure off. God is the one who fashions my life with him, and he does all the work, and he delivers it to me. So I can revel in that and rejoice in that. I mean, I love Christmas. I love Easter. I love all those things because that's God at work for me. 
I love going to church. Why? That's God at work for me. And then I get to then go out into the world, and what neighbors does he bring into my life? Well, if I could tell you some of the neighbors we've had, it's a blast because we get to know them and we get to be God's uh, connection to them. All right. So just to stop right here, I, I want you to start thinking about the fact you already are. You already are a spiritual first responder. Well, then let's talk about what that means. All right, when I talk about first responders, this is the picture. Um, first responders, you know, so when I say first responders, it's the police, uh, it's the firemen, it's the nurses, it's the 9-11 operators, it's the EMT workers, um, it's the people. So you can see some of the pictures that are there. Um, how about this? Let me... Sometimes when I say, what's a, spiritual, what's a first responder, it's the people that go into the rubble. When everyone else is running away because the, the building's falling down, the first responders do what? They run into the rubble. When everyone else is scared to go back on the rubble because they could be in trouble, uh, they run in to see if there's anyone else they can save. It's the people that are going into the building when you are running out of the building. So first responders. But do you see this picture up here? That's one of my favorites. Do you know where that one comes from? Yeah, that's the priest who was in there praying with people who couldn't get out, and then the building finally fell on him too, and they got him out, but he's dead there. They're carrying him out after he'd done his work. That one always gets to me, because even pastors, we can be spiritual first responders in some of the craziest places too. And then, but notice this one, that's just an average guy doing his job. This person was hurt. They were in trouble. They had to get out. So he became a first responder and ran in and grabbed her and took her out. So I want you to start seeing, yeah, we have these professional first responders, but ultimately you get to be one too in a certain fashion, and we'll talk about what that means too. They run into the rubble. They run into the fire. So if you're thinking about first responders, I want you to think about two things. Number one, they're not always appreciated. That's an important thing. But in a lot of ways, they are respected and they're valued. And those are the tensions that first responders live in. If you're a cop in New York City, and we knew a lot of policemen in New York City, they weren't always appreciated. (laughs) But without them, New York City wouldn't be the way it is. It wouldn't be safe. You wouldn't be able to walk down Broadway freely. So again, sometimes I think as Christians, our culture doesn't necessarily appreciate us. I get that. But you're called to be something special in the middle of it. And when you do your job, the culture might even respect you as they come to faith in Jesus through you, okay? So let's think that through as we kind of unpack it. So why do you value first responders? Because I think a lot of people think firemen are pretty cool. Is that right? And glad that they're here when the fire's raging. Uh, the, we value policemen. We value the EMT people. If you've ever had, you know, if you've ever seen somebody who had a heart attack, you're, you're really glad when the, the uh, ambulance shows up. I mean, because these people know what to do. So is it their training? Yeah, I think we value them because their training is intense. Their training is uh, purposeful. It's rigorous uh, because it has to be. they got to be ready for whatever comes their way. Why do we value them? Well, we value them because we know they're capable. That's one of the reasons why you got to know your Bibles, guys. I mean, you know, there's got to be some intensity to, to being a first responder. You can't just walk into trouble and see, well, Lord, let's see what you can do with me. No. You should be a person who knows what you're walking into, knows what the Scripture might say about these things. And maybe there's an intensity to that. Yeah. 
because you got to be ready. Um, is it their knowledge for the prevention and protection of others? I say, yeah, okay. Um, because, again, these are the kind of people that there's a right way and a wrong way to do their job. So when you start thinking about church, church isn't just what we think it is, and church isn't what we make it. Church is really what God says it is and what God brings to us, and we need to be aware of that so that we can be useful to God in how we serve other people. So it, it's their uh, knowledge of things, too. I mean, one thing about getting to know spiritual first, or first responders is that, you know, they know why the fire burns. <laughs> You know, they know why stuff is, they know why you're supposed to have the uh, fire extinguisher right there. And they know why you're supposed to have all these different things where they're at because they've, they've been there. They've seen if it's not there, what it can do. Okay? Is it their willingness to be prepared at all times for the challenges of the job? If you ask a cop what's the toughest part of his job is they'll say the boredom. You know what I mean? Because half the time or three quarters of the time, they're just kind of sitting around. But then suddenly what happens? They get the call. Suddenly they're thrown into situations, and they said the intensity level of that next maybe 30 minutes or 10 minutes is so incredible. And then after that, back to normal. And they said, you've got to be ready for that when it hits. If you know any firefighters and, you know, when the bell goes off, I mean, you could be just sitting around the fire station, just had a nice meal. You've been sitting like that for three days, and bang, the bell goes off, and now you're in the middle of a raging, blazing, burning try, uh, uh, building trying to help people get out alive. Well, in some sense, that's the Christian life, too. And we'll talk about how later on. So human lives depend on whether they're prepared or not. Oh, by the way, uh, if the bell rings in the firehouse and the guy just sits there... <laughs> you got to be ready, and then ready to what? Answer the call. And then how about is it they're striving for excellence? So they don't just get well-trained. Um, they actually keep getting trained, and they, they be, they're faithful to their training, and they're constantly practicing in their training. Well, yeah, because if there's any lack of knowledge or if they're not capable of their job, uh, again, it could mean real disaster for people like you and me, right? You know, it's funny, um, one time I had, we had firefighters, uh, there was, my, my daughter went to sleep at night in, in, in the building we lived in in New York, and uh, she said, Daddy, I smell fire. Now, what does a dad usually say when his second grade daughter sells, I, says, I smell fire? We usually say what? Honey, go to sleep, Daddy, you, know, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we don't listen to our, our second grade kids. I should have listened to her. She had, she's like her mom, she can smell things. She said, Dad, no, there's, there's fire someplace. I said, okay. So I walked to the front of our building in New York, and I looked out, and there were flames shooting out of the window of the building right next to ours. I was a bit terrified at that moment. I kept thinking, we better get out, because that could be in this building in a matter of seconds. So I got my daughter, got my wife, we got out of the building, and then the firefighters came. And I've never seen it. They're carrying almost 200 pounds of stuff on their body, and they went up six floors through our building. They had to climb six floors with 200 pounds packs on their body, and they got on the roof, jumped over the roof, went down into that other building, and they stopped that fire and prevented all the buildings in the block from going under. Wow. But I remember when they were walking up, we had rented some space to some of these kids upstairs, and they had put computers on the stairs and all this stuff. And I remember the guy kicking these off saying, what's this doing here? You don't put stuff on the stairs like this because when you have a fire, it prevents us from helping get to you and to save you. Now, on any other day, that computer was no big deal on the stairs. But when the fire came, his prevention talk to us 
You know, we never forgot that. So again, yeah, they strove for excellence. They had their knowledge. We were ready, and, and their proficiency mattered. Well, that's what a first responder is, and I think we value them. Would you agree with me that we value these people because of this, okay? Well, here's the reason why I value them the most. We value the first responder most because they have the courage to run into the fire. They've got courage to run to the shooter. Now, remember we saw that thing in Florida. When they don't run to the shooter, what do we think about them? Remember that cop that said we, we, we established a perimeter until some people could come in and then we, you know, we let people... No, a, a policeman, we value that they run in when everyone else is running out. And if they don't, wow. Um, they run to the rubble and they do that to protect others, not necessarily to protect themselves. So again, I want you to see that when I say first responder, that's what I mean. But here's the cool thing. Imagine, again, just what this actually could mean, even if it was just was you. Now, that's a picture right there of the Chilean um, mining accident. Do you guys remember that whole story? The reason why I put that up there is the red dot on the very bottom is those guys, the, the, the whole um, mine fell in on them, and then they had to drill all the way down to actually go rescue those guys. So the, that's one of the, the rescue people who is in this little cage, and they have to lower them down hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet through rock and through danger to get those 33 guys. I think it was 60 days they were down under the ground or something like that. And do you remember this story where each one of them got pulled out individually? Um, they all lost about 20, 25 pounds. They basically ran out of food. They almost ran out of oxygen. And it took someone who would risk their life to go all the way down and pick them up and one by one bring them all the way back up. Now, can you imagine how those guys felt? Those are the guys sitting, sitting in, you know, underneath the rubble waiting for help to come. What was it like to be a, a person waiting for a first responder? And then finally, think of this emotion. That's one of the guys that finally got pulled out and he's hugging his wife. What's it like to finally be rescued and brought home? I want you to think about that because to be a spiritual first responder, all those emotions will be part of your life too. Okay? Now, from a transition point of view, we've been talking about first responders. Who is the ultimate spiritual first responder? Who's the one that ran into the fire that we couldn't run into so that we could be saved? It's Jesus. That's what Good Friday is all about, guys. So when you think about Good Friday and you think about spiritual first responders, think about what it's like to be in a situation where it is hopeless and nobody can get to you, and yet God actually does what no human being could do. And so I was trying to you know, kind of come to grips with what it means that Jesus is not just a physical first responder. He is the ultimate spiritual first responder. He's the one who, there's a greater danger than just being your, your life necessarily being at risk. In fact, it's Jesus who says, right, don't fear the ones who can kill the body. Fear the ones who can do what? Kill the soul. Fear the one who can send you to hell. Be afraid of that. A lot of people aren't afraid of that today. They really need to be. Jesus said that's the greatest fear. So he's our savior from sin and death and damnation, and he's the ultimate spiritual first responder. He was always ready. He was always prepared. He was always uh, wise and knew what was the right thing to do, and then he did all those things for you and me. 
So, you know, I got the picture of Peter, you know, being rescued uh, physically, but then we've got a picture of the cross, which is also what, what uh, Jesus, of course, accomplishes for us and for our salvation. And that's the picture that I see. I don't know if you, there's an intensity to that picture. So if you think about Jesus on the cross, he's literally taking Satan on in all of his fullness, in all of his fury, and he's going to overcome that fire for your sake and for mine. Now, a couple of things when you start to think about, okay, what does it mean to be a spiritual first responder? Well, if Jesus is the ultimate first responder, let's think about how he did it. First of all, he engaged the world for whose sake? For their sake. Yeah, for your sake, for my sake. So he doesn't engage the world for his own sake. He engages it for you. And he does it by doing what? First, he honors the will of the Father. So if you're going to be a spiritual first responder... You too need to honor the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is he, he creates the world, he orders the world, and we honor his authority in the world. Uh, God created and ordered the world, and Jesus actually honored God the Father's work in the world. He never, you know, he didn't come into the world and say, it's no big deal that God created men and women. He said, no, God the Father created men and women. Honor your mothers and fathers. He, he, these are things where Jesus says, honor what the Father has done. But he was also willing to fulfill the law in our place. So again, he doesn't just honor what God has done. He not only honors it, he lives it faithfully in your place and in mine. So his holiness and perfection are not an option. That's what a first responder is like. So if you think of a first responder uh, policeman, he honors his training. He honors the, the things he has to know about. He, he honors all those things and accomplishes all those things. Well, Jesus did that for you and for me. And then secondly, he engaged the world to save it by suffering the punishment of our sin. And so one of the things we realize is that Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. He's a first responder, and he engages these things for the sake of others. So think of it this way. If a first responder runs into the fire, he doesn't just sit there in the fire with the person and say, well, this is no big deal. We're both in the fire. Fire is no big No, he says, this fire is ready to burn. I want to engage it for you. I want to help you get out of here. Okay? So again, Jesus, when he engages sin, it's not to put somebody down. It's not to say you're a sinner and I'm not. He's jumping in saying this is bad for you and I'm going to help you get out. And so when you start thinking about engaging people's lives, you're doing the same thing. You're jumping in, engaging it on their terms so that you together with them can help get out. Okay? And so finally he offers himself uh, to all who will repent and believe. So again, that's Jesus, the ultimate spiritual first responder. He jumps into your life. He engages your life. He takes on your life, uh, suffers the punishment of your sin, and then gives you his life as a gift into the fire. So the picture I want to give then of you as a first responder is this. That's Christ. He's grabbing a hold of you. And he's saying, you're mine. Now, now that you're mine, and remember, I did it all for you, I just want you to be willing to be one of those first responders to the people that I sent to you. That's it. And I want you to grow in that. I want you to mature in that. I want you to, so all of the experiences you've had in your life, the ups, the downs, the successes, the failures, they can all teach you, A, how to rely more on Christ and how to be more open to those he sends into your life. So some of the verses, that, so this is who you are. You're a rescued rescuer. You're a broken healer. You're a first responder in Christ for the sake of others. Now some of these verses are pretty important. How about the first one, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10? 
it, you guys should know this from catechism class, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. But what does it say at the, at the end in verse 10? You are God's what? Workmanship. So you're created. God's fashioned you to be who you are. The second one, Romans 12, 2. In view of his mercy, present your bodies. How many of you got a body? Raise your hand. Okay, good. It says, present your bodies. You just jump in. That's it. Christian life is jumping in. Jump into the lives of the others. So if you guys have got friends, if you've got neighbors, that's your jumping in point. Those are your friends, your neighbors, not my friends, not my neighbors. God fashions us each for the neighbors he sends to us. And finally, Jeremiah 29, that's just God saying, look, even if I send you into a really tough place, Jeremiah 29, is they're in, the, they're in captivity, they're in Babylon. He says, even if you're in Babylon, which is a tough place to be, he said, bless the city. Bless wherever God has sent you. So rescued, rescuers. So Christians are called to be spiritual first responders. John 13 says, here's how you do it. Love as I've loved you. Matthew 6 says it this way. He tells us how to pray. He says, pray our Father and pray forgive as we have been forgiven. And then I'm going to teach you this one in a minute. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what you just said? If you, re- you pray that on Sundays, right? You know what you just said to God? Make me a spiritual first responder. That's what you just said. We'll talk about why. And then 2 Corinthians 5.20, you are God's ambassadors. What's an ambassador? This is D.C. language. What's an ambassador? What do they do? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, you represent a country. So if you're the ambassador of the America to a particular country, you don't walk over and say, well, here's what I think. You, go, you walk and say, here's what America wants me to tell to you. So if you're an ambassador of a country, you represent the country's view, not your views, to some other people. Well, if you're a Christian ambassador, you represent Christ, his views, to someone else. Spiritual first responders. All right, let's talk about this for just a few minutes. When we pray, our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done, that's how first responders pray. This is God's world, and God engages the world two different ways, to preserve it and to save it. But then he teaches us how to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you pray that way, some of you probably think what you're praying is, Lord, uh, help me not to get in trouble. You know, and if I get in trouble, help me not to get you know, too much in trouble. You know, kind of keep me pure or help me, to, help me to live a better Christian life. Help me not to get caught up in temptation. Help me not to get, you know, kind of overwhelmed by this stuff. When you're praying, and that's not a wrong way to pray it. Don't get me wrong. But you're thinking more of the personal. You know, help me with my relationship with you, God. But notice the word. It says, lead what? Lead us. There's, there's something more than you going on in this prayer. And so here's my thought. I think what God is teaching us here is not just um, help me in my spiritual walk. I just was told, forgive as you have been forgiven. I was just told that this has more to do than just me. I'm supposed to actually kind of think about how can I be Christ's person to somebody else. So here's what I think he's saying. Lead us, lead us, Lord, not into temptation, but Lord, help me jump into that person's life. So let's say they're struggling with something. Help me to jump into their struggle. Well, it might not be my temptation. It might be their temptation, but I'm willing to jump into it with them. But, Lord, don't let me get overwhelmed by the temptation either. 
Because sometimes you realize when you jump into people's lives, you know, when I was in high school, and you know, there were people who were getting in all kinds of trouble. When you start jumping into their lives, you can get in trouble too. So, Lord, lead me into their life because they're in the fire. But help me not to get overwhelmed by the flames and deliver us out of that. So when you start to think about your life, God's going to bring people into your lives that are in all kinds of situations. They're on fire, and you get to jump in because you know the Lord has already done that for you. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, I want you to start thinking. You're saying, Lord, make me a spiritual first responder. And then start to say, how are you going to do that with me, Lord? And like I said, you already are a first responder. Become better and better and better as you get older. So to be a spiritual first responder, first understand you're going to have to live in, in the biblical knowledge of God. You're going to have to grow deep into what he, he teaches about who he is and who you are. And that's why you go to church. You go to church to be refreshed. You go to church to be empowered. You go to church to be matured. You are a rescued rescuer. You're a broken healer. Why? Because Christ loves you. And so again, as you, you gotta, this is more than just living your Christian life. Um, one of the, the real temptations of your generation is you've been taught it's your body, it's your life. That is a false teaching. It's God's body to you. <laughs> he created you. In fact, our founding fathers actually created a whole government based on this. It said, because you're created by God, you have inalienable rights. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? If you take away the idea that you're created by God, you lose all those rights. So again, even here, he's saying, you are not your own. The body that you have is given to you as a gift. You're created by God. You're redeemed by God. And now the very life you live is one he wants to bless you with uh, so that you can love others in his name. You also then espouse that truth, both as that God is both the creator and the authority uh, in our lives as well. And of course, then you can talk about why he's your gracious redeemer as well. And here's the hard one. You're called to speak God's truth in love for them. So when you speak the truth, who's it for? Anybody? When, when Christians who are spiritual first responders speak the truth, who are we speaking it for? Say again? Yeah. For, so again, if you're a Christian and you know something to be true, you're not like a know-it-all who says, uh, I know this truth, you don't, so I'm going to lay it on you because I want you to know and understand that I know it better than you do. No, we don't talk that way. We're broken healers. God had to come gently in our lives. So we speak the truth for their sake. And we take, if, if the person responds negatively, we hang in there and keep trying to serve it into their lives. So we speak God's truth in love for others. So we have to learn how to grow in that biblical knowledge. It is a calling. Now here's the other one. To be a spiritual first responder, you've got to hone the skill of dialoguing with people, of getting involved in people's lives. And so when you jump into somebody's lives, you've got to know how to jump into their life. You've got to know how to talk with them about what they're going through um, so that you can share, um, the, you know, you jump into the fire of their lives so that you might share the fires of faith. Um, one of the things that I've learned as a pastor now for 30 years is that there are two kinds of fire in life. There's fires that burn in your life that destroy you. So you might have passion. You might be all full of passion. You might be on fire for all kinds of things, and you'll find out 10 years later it destroyed your life. And then there's fires that empower you. In fact, the Bible calls you a living sacrifice. You ever thought about what that means? Sacrifices are usually burned on altars and offered. 
But if you're a living sacrifice, you're on fire, but you don't burn. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're on fire, but that fire empowers you to be who you are. In fact, Luke 24, if you ever want to do a study on this, um, that's Jesus walking with the people on the road after he uh, rises from the dead. And remember, he's teaching the Bible to them. And remember what they said? Did our hearts not burn within us as he taught us on the road? That's a fire that empowers, and it never consumes you. Okay? So here's what I mean. If you get involved in somebody's life, you can say it this way. Look, you know, I don't, I don't suffer. That's not my temptation. Like, you may be struggling with something right now. I say, ah, that's not mine. But I know that is something that's wrong. The Bible talks about that being wrong. So I'm going to jump into your life with you, man. I'm going to get involved with you. It's not really something. I pray that it doesn't overwhelm me because maybe it becomes my. But I'm going to jump in there with you, and I want to understand it from your point of view. Why do you do this? What are you doing it for? It, 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 God says it will kill you. But I'm going to jump in with you. I'm not going to lecture you. I'm going to walk alongside of you. I'm going to get into the fire with you because I would love it if he'd pull us both out. That's the Christian life, and you learn how to talk that talk. Because you don't want to, you don't jump into their life and then just sit in the fire. You don't do that because then you can both get burned up. You jump in it, you feel the flames, you feel the heat, you want to understand it from their point of view, but you want to help them get, get out of that hurt. You want to help them to get out of that hate. You want to help them to get out of that fire. And so God uses you to do that because you love them, they're, they're, they're your friend, they're your neighbor, they're the one He brought into your life so that you could be a spiritual first responder to them. So again, to be a spiritual first responder, we, this is the one thing I would say you're going to have to grow in this because you've got to acquire skills. You've got to learn how to ask people questions. You've got to, why is that important to you? Why do you think that way? I never thought about that way. Now, I've got to tell a quick story here, but my wife is a great person of learning how to talk and to understand people from their point of view. She went one time, she got a ticket one time, and she, uh, <laughs> she my wife never gets a ticket, and she went to one of those classes where they call it uh, the driving classes, defensive driving classes, and she came home after two Saturdays at defensive driving, and this is one of the toughest parts of Los Angeles. Now, if you went to defensive driving, and I hope you never have, by the way, she never got tickets, and it wasn't even her fault, but it, she went to that driving thing, she came home that day, and she says, Greg, get ready, we're going out. I said, going out with who? She said, my new friends from the defensive driving school. And we still celebrate what's called the Violator's Christmas Party. <laughs> I had to tell you, honey. She was mad that I told. But there are people from, um, two people from Iran, uh, Pakistan, uh, Malaysia, a couple of Anglo folks, um, people that got to know my wife in one, of, you know, in one of the toughest parts of California, Santa Ana, at the DMV. You and I would have just kept our heads down. Uh, she actually came home with five new friends that are still our friends to life. So again, my point to you is you jump into people's lives, and you let God bring those people into your lives, and you might find that they become the best friends you've ever had. Okay? And then finally, when the opportunity comes, you become a first responder to them because Christ will never let you down. He will always give you everything you need. And so you get turned to your neighbor and say, Lord, let me, just let me be the best neighbor to them that I can be. Now, Philippians 2, do you know that verse? you got to memorize that verse. Don't ever leave. It says, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. 
So Philippians 2, Paul says, you can have the mind of Christ. Well, what's the mind of Christ? Even though he was God, he did not count equality with God something to be held onto or hoarded. He emptied himself and became a servant, a servant unto death. He became a spiritual first responder for the whole world. Well, you get to have that mind of Christ for those that God sends into your life. So you engage them. You're motivated by grace. You're with the wisdom of the word of God, with the mind of Christ. So I'm telling you right now, you are this. And I'm telling you that day by day, you can be more and more this for the sake of others. And God can bless people just because you get to live your life as who you are for them. How many of you know the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to go. It's one of the coolest places in D.C. now. It's six stories high. The people that, what, what the, what's their name, the Greens, um, built this thing. It's an incredible space. But in the Museum of the Bible, and it's got everything about the Bible you'd ever want to know, there's a jail cell. And if you've been to the Museum of the Bible, it's a jail cell from Angola Prison. Angola Prison is down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and at one time, it was the bloodiest, most brutal prison in America. And believe me, that's saying something because there's some really bad prisons in America. Okay? There's a book called The Cain Redemption. You ought to read it. Because this guy came in. He became the warden of the bloodiest prison. In fact, they had this place called Blood Alley. And if you got caught in Blood Alley, you were either bleeding or you were dead. And it happened daily. And so this warden gets a hold of it, and they took away his funds for education. He said, good, because I don't want smarter criminals. I want changed criminals. And he did something radically unique. He brought a seminary, a Christian seminary, into the prison. He, didn't, he said, I don't want pastors coming into the prison. I want people changed from within. So he brought a seminary, and these pastors came in, and they taught these guys. And these guys had to earn the right to be in that seminary. And he started changing the culture of one of the bloodiest prisons in America. And I met a Philippians 2 guy. I met a person. Now, obviously, Jesus is the perfect Philippians 2 person. But I actually met a person who was a Christian like you who was a Philippians 2 Christian. And I'm saying you are too. Here's this guy. He was a lifer in prison. He had killed somebody who was 18 years old. He was in that prison. And the first thing he said is, I came to this prison, and the, the warden said, even though you're going to spend the rest, you're going to die in prison because everybody's a lifer here, but you're not an animal. You're a human being, and I'm going to start treating you like that. They used to, when they died, they used to just throw them in a hole. They said, we're not going to do that. We're going to bury you like men, even if you're criminals. You're going to bury you like men. So they started making coffins for each other and having ceremonies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, John was one of the first people in the seminary. He earned the right to be a... He said, I never knew I was a human being. I always thought that I was just a guy on the street like an animal just taking care of business. Now someone told me I'm a human being and that God made me and that I have value. I never thought that, never knew that, never believed it. Now I did. And then I heard about a God who would come to me and save me. Wow. So he went through four years of seminary training. In the prison, where was his first call? Where do you guess? Where did he get sent? Now, none of them get out, obviously. So his first call was someplace in the prison. Where's the worst place you can get sent in a prison? Death row. These are some of the baddest, most evil guys that will scare you half to death, and that was the first place he was sent.
Now, here's what happened. And he's telling this story to me. I'm in, because I went down to visit these guys, and I couldn't believe this prison. It's so different today than what I thought it was. And he was telling this story, and he says, I walk there, and the guard said, strip, preach. Because if you don't take all their clothes off, why? They might pass some some stuff, and those can be, shivs can be used. And so they, anyone who went into those places, they had to go in naked. Can you imagine how embarrassed he was? He's sent to these guys who are the most evil folks in the prison. They're laughing at him. They're like, look at this guy. He's a pastor. He's, like, they're stripping him down. Oh, come on, pray for me, please pray for me. They were ridiculing him, making fun of him, and he got sent in. And so here he is walking in. Can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Can, I want to share. Do you need anything from me? They're laughing, jeering him, making fun of him. Every day he went back. Every day he got stripped naked. Every day he was made fun of. And every day he recited, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. If he could leave heaven and become a servant and a slave to a sinful world, I can stand here naked for these guys. And he kept coming, and he kept coming, and he kept coming. Now, I'm listening to this story. This is not a fiery guy. He was telling it like this. He was, "Uh, yeah, did it for three and a half months, every day. And then one day, the guard said, leave your clothes on. Preach. And then when he walked in, the baddest guy on death row said, get over here. I'm crying by this time. He says, get over here. Any God who sends a guy like you To a guy like me is a God I want to get to know. And they say the whole prison turned. It's one of the safest prisons in the country today. You walk in today there where there used to be Death Death Alley and all these different Now it's on the way to chapels that they've built with their own hands. There are people walking around all over. It's like Mayberry RFD. These are all lifers. And they're all walking around like this. And I'm thinking, man, that guy could, you know. No. I mean, the whole place has been transformed. It was 25 years later that I met John, and he's telling me this story. And I thought, he's a Philippians 2 person. And if you ask him who did it, what, what would he say? God did it. He got me, and all I did was jumped into their lives, and he got them. And look what happened. And if you go to the Museum of the Bible, you'll see John, that prison cell, because it tells the story of the power of the Scripture when people would be first responders into the lives of others. So I'm saying when the opportunity comes, you don't have to be the Savior. You just need to be the friend to the neighbor that he brings into your life with a spiritual first responder mindset to see what he can do. I met a Philippians 2 person, and I'm meeting Philippians 2 people today. Each one of you already is a Philippians 2 person, who now, as you can grow and mature, will become a better Philippians 2 person for the sake of others. So I'm just going to ask you, in your mind, will you take this pledge with me? At the very end, I'm just going to ask you, is this a yes? And if you say yes, God bless. And I'm just asking... Will you continue to grow in the knowledge of your grace, life, in Christ? Will you continue to grow in the wisdom of his word and he's wise? Yes. Will you continue to prepare to put that knowledge, not to work for you, because God always works for you, 
put it to work for others? Yes. And will you answer the call when God brings people into your life? Yes. You already are a spiritual first responder. God bless you. And thanks for being here today.